Hello, Marlins and MLB fans, and welcome back to another episode, a late week edition of Swings and Mishes. I am your producer, Jeremy Taché, not joined by Craig Mish this week, but joined by Michael Sunbake. So, Mike, how are you doing on this fine morning on the week after Thanksgiving? I'm good. I'm good. Just getting over a little bit of a cold. Just in time to do this podcast. Excuses, excuses. But we'll uh, <laughs> we'll get right into things here. It's been um, relatively uneventful week, all things considered, for the Marlins. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the last few weeks of the off season, we felt like there is no off season for the Miami Marlins. There's there's been a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of movement when it came down to the forty man roster, when it came down to the rebranding of the uniforms, and and really just the team in general, the murals all across. Uh, Miami-Dade and Broward counties, but here we are, and and not a lot has been going on with the Marlins, and for that matter, not a lot has been going on in the MLB thus far with free agency. Um, You could probably expect that in the next couple of weeks as we approach the winter meetings, but there's been a few signings so far that, you know, means something to the Marlins and means something across Major League Baseball, Uh, the most notably being Josh Donaldson signing with the Braves along with Brian McCann signing with the Braves and headed back to Atlanta. And Dutch, I'm just wondering what your initial reactions are to those moves by Atlanta. Well, so I've always, over the past five years, I've been envious about how Atlanta's run so beautiful and the Marlins weren't ran as well, at least back when it was under the lawyer regime. Mm -hmm. And, I think the Braves just continue to be like one of the smartest organizations in baseball to get Donaldson on a one-year deal, a one-year prove-it deal for 23 million. And then really even McCann for one year, 2 million, that's two players for 25 million that you're kind of like guaranteed five wins, Mm. like a five win value. For $26 million. And right. that's like a $7 million steal. If, if a win is still worth $8 million, right? say a win is still worth $8 million, and you get, you get two, for, oh, you get six wins for $27 million, mm-hmm. or $25 million, that's a great deal. I mean, Donaldson, he can be an MVP candidate when he's healthy. Right. Oh, yeah, he has been. He has been an MVP when he's healthy. So to get that for $23 million on a one-year deal, especially a one-year deal, like I I just keep on emphasizing that. But I I don't know. I think it's it's a great deal for Atlanta. And it's like there's nothing to lose. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, actually. The one-year deal part of it obviously makes the most sense, right? So if if Josh Donaldson – well, first, I guess I'll start with Brian McCann. Brian McCann, uh, at the end of the day – is a professional hitter. He's a mm-hmm. professional baseball player. He's a guy that's been around for a really long time. And the Braves are a relatively young baseball team. Uh, even though they were remarkably competitive last year, they'll look to take steps forward this year. You know, we know they've been involved in the JT Romuto sweepstakes in terms of, you know, teams that are at the top of that list that might make a play there. Uh, this doesn't take them out of it. If you follow Craig on Twitter, you know that that, that doesn't take them out of it. They're still at the top of that list. But Brian McCann is, is a, you know, consummate professional. You know, we can, we can argue about his uh, feelings towards certain flair in the game. And ironically, the Braves are a team that, that has a lot of it. 
but you know, Brian McCann is a, a professional baseball player that can be there really as a leader. I almost at this point, you know, he'll produce more, but it's, it's similar to someone like Udonis Haslam being on the heat, right? Almost <clears> there <throat> in terms of like that player coach type of role. Uh, McCann can <clears throat> produce a heck of a lot more than, than what Haslam has been doing. Haslam doesn't even play, right? And McCann will probably, yeah. you know, play that backup catcher role, regardless of who their catcher is, whether it's Flowers or it ends up being Romuto at some point. Uh, on the Donaldson side of it, it's that, you know, enhanced, right? Because Josh Donaldson is legitimately a great player when he's healthy. We, you hope <clears throat> he's healthy. If he's not, all right, one year, your payroll isn't astronomical regardless. And if, if he isn't healthy, all right, you wasted it, but it's not like you've locked him up long-term and now you're handcuffed by a contract. One year at $23 million, that guy's going to produce for you. Uh, if for some reason your team regresses and you're not competing, come the trade deadline, he'll be someone that anybody would be willing to take on because it'll just be the rest of a contract. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's in your worst case scenario. And in your best case scenario, he comes in and puts your team over the top, right? He comes in and produces for you and hits in the middle of that order, is a great defensive player, which is, like you said, going to add more than just the bat and give you an opportunity to win in a way that, that your team has not you haven't had anybody like Josh Donaldson there in in quite a while. You know, Acuna is, is a superstar waiting to happen, if not already a superstar, right? But he's young and he hasn't been, you know, in, in the big stages before in the way that Josh Donaldson has a guy that that's played in some big playoff games. And so to bring him in on a one-year deal, I think, I think it was a perfect move for Atlanta. I I, I don't see, and unless I, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe we're both wrong, but I I doubt it because it feels like. I don't see. I I just don't don't see any way how this can be bad for them. Unless, of course, he gets hurt. But still, it's a one-year risk. Exactly. It's a a win-win situation for everybody involved. Yeah. In a non-cap sport, you can take the risk of someone getting hurt at $23 million. Exactly. In 2017, he was still – he was great in 2017. It's only – we're one season removed from a great Josh Donaldson year. Like, he was a player that we were talking about to get, like, $200 million. When, right. Like, when, when we were first – like, this free agency class ended up being disappointing. Mm-hmm. But, like, when we were hyping up, you know, 2018 – or, yeah, it's considered 2018 free agency class or the 2019 baseball? 2018, I think. 20, 2018 free agency class. Like we would always talk, oh, you know, that's our, that's baseball's, that's going to be baseball's basketball free agency, right. you know, where all these big names are free agents. I mean, we were talking that, you know, Donaldson was going to be a, one of those $200 million guys. And, you know, yeah, now you get them for a one year, a one year deal. There's just no way. I just don't see how anybody can paint that as negative towards the birds. Right. And it's win-win because if he goes in and, and dominates, and builds up his value, then that means he's produced in a way that he outplayed his contract for the Braves and the Braves got the most out of it. And for him, he builds up his contract and he just gets that long-term deal next year, right? He gets, mm-hmm. he gets the chance to show if you're going to have a, a sort of a reclamation uh, deal in terms of your contract, right? Cause that's basically what this is for Donaldson. It's a one year sort of prove it deal. 
$23 million is a heck of a lot of money to make when you're just proving it. So he's going to make his 23 mil. He's going to go out there and hopefully produce for the Braves and put them in a position to succeed. And, and then next year will be the time that he goes out and either whether it's from the Braves or somebody else gets himself, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. There were other free agent signings that have happened thus far. Uh, CC Sabathia, re-signed with the Yankees, Jesse Chavez signed with the Rangers, Lonnie Chisenhall with the Pirates, uh, Kurt Suzuki signed with the Nationals, which took them out of the JT Ramuto sweepstakes, essentially. Were there any other signings across the league, Dutch, that you looked at and said, you know what, that's a great deal? Or vice versa, looked at it and said, you know what, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Yeah, one deal I really loved was Garrett Richards to San Diego on a two-year deal. So it's one of those situations, like it's a Nathan Avaldi situation when he signed with uh, Tampa, I believe. He's been moving around so much, but. Right. <laughs> Tampa, where, you know, you sign to a two-year deal and you know he's not going to play the first year because he's recovering from Tommy John. But it's that second year. Mm. You know, you get Garrett Richards on that second year for $7 million. Right. And I love when teams take that risk because, you know, you pay them to rehab and then, you know, you gain that loyalty, you know, okay, you paid me to rehab. And then if they come back to being as good as they were, you get them one year at great value. Right. And then likely the chance to sign them long-term. Right. And Gary Richards. Yeah. And Gary Richards was once maybe what two years ago really good yeah Gary Richards, he is ace type stuff like when he's yeah. at his best he he can be an ace on a staff and, and he's I mean, injuries is his knock but like i said if you get him that second year for seven million dollars mm-hmm. i love i love when teams take that risk so i love that deal for the padres right and i they continue to do that. I think they did the same thing with Tyson Ross when they brought him back. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd like, I like to see teams start doing that. I hope that's something the Marlins start doing is taking the risk on these players that have Tommy John. And, you know, you pay them just the one year to rehab and then, uh, you know, get that second year at value. Right. Yeah, I think that uh, Garrett Richards is is the perfect example of that, right? Like where you're paying a guy uh, not necessarily for what he's going to add to your ball club immediately, but what he can add long term uh, and getting him into your system and saying, look, this is how we're going to r- sort of repair you. Uh, but Garrett Richards is also like the upside is tremendous with Garrett Richards. Garrett mm-hmm. Richards is the guy that has had ace type stuff that when he first came up to the big leagues, everybody was clamoring over him. So, you know, he's obviously, he's not necessarily a spring chicken, right? But he's 30 years old now. Yeah. But at the the same time, you know, there's plenty of juice left in that arm. Uh, And so a signing like that for a team like the Padres especially makes a lot of sense considering, I believe it was only two years, $15 million total. So it's not like they're out here, you know, dropping – a $20 million a year on this guy. It's, Hey, you know, we understand that there's some work to do. We understand that you got to get back to form. And so we're willing to sign you and take the risk that maybe you don't ever return to form, but $15 million over a span of a couple of years on a payroll, like the Padres is not 
it's not going to handcuff anybody, right? It's not, it's not something that has, again, uh, we talk about low risk, high reward. That's where we're at with the Donaldson contract. That's where we're at with Garrett Richards as well. Uh, Moving from the free agent signings that have actually happened, there are, we're going to trek in some of the rumor mill, right? Uh, We've done a little bit of that with legitimate reporting um, coming from Craig and coming about JT Romuto. And, And for those of you who don't know, uh, Craig will be at the winter meetings in a couple of weeks out in Las Vegas. We're very excited about that. He's going to be out there representing Swings and Mishes and Five Reason Sports. Uh, and he'll be breaking all sorts of news for you guys. As, as any of you that follow him know, uh, he did it a lot last year. He'll be doing it a lot this year. Um, so you can expect any, any baseball news you're looking for, you can expect to find it on, on Craig's Twitter at Craig Mish or on ours at Swings and Mishes. But as we move forward and we see other reporting from other writers and other uh, guys on the baseball beat in terms of breaking news, there seems to be some, some big trades coming. Um, you know, we're not necessarily going to trek in where, where guys like a Harper and Machado might land, although we can get to that a little bit later. But right now, I would like to bring up Robinson Cano, who is coming off of a, a complicated couple of years he was just suspended for peds he still has five years 120 million dollars left on that contract out in seattle uh and the rumor mill brought to you by uh ken rosenthal says uh, ken rosenthal had tweeted out that basically a blockbuster involving robinson cano and edwin diaz who led the major leagues in saves and is only 24 years old uh could be announced as soon as well today um so if you're listening to this and the trades already happened you get to hear what we think before it happens uh and that would be to the new york mets uh that that's where the rumor has it has him going thus far where the reporting has him going thus far uh so it would be cano and edwin diaz and the mariners picking up some of cano's big 120 million dollar contract with the mariners getting back some combination some sort of combination of Jeff McNeil, who was the mm-hmm. Mets' 2016 first-round pick. Uh, Justin Dunn, who, man, that guy hits 100 on the radar gun. He was the 2018 first-round pick. Uh, Jared Kalenic, Anthony Swarzark, or Swarzak, rather, and uh, Jay Bruce, where you made an interesting comparison um, before the show when we were talking a bit about this trade uh, with what the Jay Bruce part of that deal would be. But the Dutch man. I mean, this talk about a blockbuster, right? Sending Robinson Cano back, back to New York, not to the Yankees, but back to New York with Edwin Diaz, who's one of the, I mean, better young relievers in the game, if not the best young reliever in the game, for a bunch of prospects. So I, I'm really intrigued um, by what the Mariners and the Mets are doing. The the Mets who don't necessarily have a giant payroll, so I'm, I'm a little confused. But uh, Dutch, I guess, just your first thoughts on if a trade did happen there involving some of those prospects and, and then Cano and Diaz. Well, so right before we started this, I like on my last check through Twitter, cause I'm an addict. <laughs> I saw that uh, Heyman, John Heyman had tweeted that the players are set. Mm. So I don't know how long ago that Roland thought tweet cause this could be just conflicting yeah. reports. Well, uh, Heyman has it. Cano and Diaz for Bruce Swarzak done. Kalenic and Batista. Okay. So it's Batista gets at it. Wait. Yeah. All right. So Batista gets at it instead of Jeff McNeil. 
Yeah, which is probably good for the Mets. Right. Um, I feel like they're giving up a lot. Yes. That's my initial reaction when this name, when this started uh, swirling around. I felt like the Mets are giving up a lot and they're taking back. I mean, they're taking on a pretty big contract, like a really big contract. Right. But, I mean, if you look at their roster, two big, needed, big needs that they needed were an infielder right. and relief help. Mm-hmm. They got one of the best relievers in baseball. Yeah, in the middle of the order bat. Cano has yeah, been that and, career. Yeah, he's a terror he, he's on a pretty bad contract now. Mm-hmm. Now that you throw in the steroids and you know, the baggage that comes with that. But Cano's still good. Right. It's not like he's bad now. No, he's still a he's still a fine hitter. He's still fine. Yeah, he's still he's still a pretty Productive. good hitter. I mean Obviously, he's not worth the contract that he's – he's not playing, at least, worth the contract that he has. But, I mean, to get Cano, I think – I still think it's a pretty good move for them. I don't love what they gave up, but I think if their just overall goal was improving to win in 2018, um, I think it's good because we don't know what's going to happen with Harper. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with Machado, if he's going to sign in Philly or not. And the Braves are young, so they can regress. Regress. We've seen that before, mm-hmm. which makes it a weak NL East. Okay. And I think the the Mets put themselves in the position where if they spend more money this offseason to sign certain players, that you know they can make a ch- make a run at the East. Yeah, that's fair. I, I the Mets are a complicated team, right? So if they hold on to all of the starting pitching, they hold on to Syndergaard and obviously DeGrom and, you know, continue to build from there, I guess they could compete, but they just felt and still continue to feel to me, even if this trade were to happen so far away from a legitimately competitive team. And so for a team that has not been willing when totally necessary now i guess cespedes was hurt last year right so if he comes back but how is he ever going to be healthy um yeah and he's not i, I don't know i've never been a big cespedes fan yeah i think he's I get that. overrated yeah i mean the guy can hit and if you put him and cano in mm-hmm. the middle of your order you're going to be a lot more productive than you were without those two bats right like if all of a sudden you want to cespedes and robinson cano were your three and your four hitters you're going to be a better team than you were when they weren't right mm-hmm. i mean just automatically you're going to be better uh, and defensively, because both of those guys, you know, Cano still, I, I think, you know, could be a really solid defensive player. Uh, and Cespedes has a rocket out there in the outfield. But both of them are, I don't want to say older, deteriorating players, but that's exactly what I'm going to say. They're both on, on the back end of their careers. They're both making a lot of money uh, for a team that has not necessarily been willing to spend money. I guess I'm just confused unless the Mariners are taking on a lot more of this contract than we're hearing thus far, because to me, put Robinson Cano in the free agent market right now, right? Put, put him in the free agent market. He's certainly not getting five years, which is what's left on the deal. And he is 1000% not getting $120 million. I would think he'd probably get something closer to like, I don't know, two years, 25 million, three years, 40 million. Like, yeah, I, th- I, 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 think kinda, I think he would send a position he would sign a one-year. Like, right, or maybe if, maybe he would. If we throw away his – I mean, if we throw away the steroid stuff, then, yeah, I, I agree with you. He'd get, like, right. two to three years. But, 
Yeah, if he, uh, yeah, if, if like we're literally putting him in his situation now, yeah, I think he'd sign a one-year deal way less than the twenty-three million. That right. So he's owed, yeah, and he's owed twenty-four million dollars for five <laughs> straight years. So it's a complicated contract to take on if you're the Mets. Um, the Edwin Diaz part of it also confuses me, and I've I've been on record as someone that that says. When you're not now, maybe the Mets think they're closer. Maybe the Mets will be competitive. I just, after last season, I have a hard time thinking they will be. And it, look, health means something, right? Um, we've mm-hmm. talked about that with the Marlins over the span of years. We talk about that right now in Miami with the Miami Heat, right? Like that seems not great, but the fact that they're not healthy makes them bad. So that's kind of the Mets yeah. last year. That was a fine team that because they weren't healthy was bad. Um, Edwin, but but I'm on record as someone that, that says, why build up your bullpen when you're not competitive? So, like, Edwin Diaz is a great young closer. He led the MLB in saves last year. But he's not going to be in position to save games. Like, mm-hmm. you got to put your guys in position to succeed. And it's something that when we talked about at the trade deadline with the Marlins, that I wanted the Marlins to trade away Kyle Bearclaw. I wanted the Marlins to trade away uh, Drew Steckenrider. I wanted them to trade away any reliever with value. Because in my mind, when you're not close to competing as a playoff team, what's the point in having a good bullpen? Because your bullpen is going to be irrelevant if you're trailing in games all the time and you're not you know, trying to win games late. So to pick up Edwin Diaz when you're not so close to being a super competitive team right now, he's on a great contract, but by the time you're actually competitive, you might actually have to sign him to a bigger deal. And then all of a sudden you've sort of wasted the value. It's like when, when a team, when a team in the NFL has a rookie quarterback, that's when they can be most successful because they can spend everywhere else. Right. Mm -hmm. So when a team has a closer that's young and on a really good contract like Edwin Diaz, that's when they need to be. And maybe that's where they see Cano as as a good piece. But that's when. All right. We should try to get our most competitive now because our pitching rotation isn't isn't worth that much. The Mets were there when the starting rotation were all those guys still on young contracts and saying, you know, all right, let's peak now everywhere else because we're getting value out of this position. So it's sort of like we're getting value out of the quarterback. The Seahawks were the perfect example back in the day with Russell Wilson. When he was on that rookie contract, they peaked everywhere else. They got to a Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. And now you look at the Mets, and they have that, that piece in Edwin Diaz on a pretty good contract, and he's young. But everywhere else, there, there are some flaws, and they're not spending it a rapid amount, except for now on Robinson Cano coming off PEDs. It's just kind of confusing uh, kind of confusing trade to me, especially considering they're giving up so many top prospects. Um, I, I, I guess I get it, but it, and, and look, Cano is a, another guy that even with all the PED stuff here, that, that was remarkably disappointing. I mean, Cano was one of my favorite players forever. I've loved mm-hmm. watching him play. He is someone that is worshiped by uh, the Dominican and Venezuelan players uh, across Major League Baseball, right? So mm-hmm. the Mets happen to have a few young studs in the infield, specifically from the Dominican Republic and from Venezuela. You look at, you know, Ahmed Rosario, their shortstop. He 
I, I know for a fact he is he is enamored by Robinson Cano. You know, these guys look up to him. And if Cano can even just come in and be a leader sort of on and off the field, obviously the, you know, we look at the PED stuff one way. Um, you know, the players probably look at that as as something different. And, you know, if he can come in and even just be a leader to some of these young guys, maybe maybe this all works out for everybody and the and the Mariners get to start their rebuild and, you know, it works. I just see too many flaws on both sides of it, um, especially for the Mets. I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> the deal hasn't even happened yet, and here we are sort of rambling about it. But I, I guess I just, you know, hope that it works out for the best for both teams. It's just uh, a little bit confusing is all. I think the Mets see themselves. I think a problem with a lot of teams across sports is they're – executives don't evaluate their teams properly and you know they think they're closer than they are for the most part mm-hmm. and I mean you look at the Mets team mm-hmm. and you know usually the Wilpons they're they're cheap they don't really open their wallet right and understandably after they lost so much money from from Bernie Madoff but still you're right they they're not a team that spends uh-huh and I mean you know they still have DeGrom they still have send a guard they have those pieces in the rotation mm-hmm. and I, I think they think they have enough talent young with a mix of veterans that they think okay you know one to two more shots at this before we concede completely blow it up yeah which I mean I it's fine to me because you know their core players their core young players are still young and have upside, like, you know, Brandon, Nemo, um, yeah. Confronto, I still believe can be good. Spedis, yeah. well, he's older, but, yeah. you know, Dominic yeah. Smith, Ahmed Rosario, these core guys, I think it's a good enough core, and there's not too much money tied into it that, you know, it's worth going for it. Like I said earlier, yeah. And what could be a weaker NL East if the Braves regress, that if they now sign the surrounding pieces to put around Cano, Rosario, like they need a catcher. Right. They probably need a a good bench player, someone. And like if they just surround this, build this team better than they've had the past three years. Because, I mean, what they've done with that, having that rotation and, you know, their peak was – one good playoff run is kind of disappointing given the talent that they had totally so if they build this team then I think they can be pretty decent this year yeah I mean that that's fair and I guess I could see the the logic behind that I just worry about the other side of things right I I worry about what if it goes wrong and you're a team that hasn't been willing to open your wallet and then all of a sudden you got $120 $120 million Robinson Cano on the books. But let, let, let's move from a team that doesn't spend and isn't really a contender right now to a team that does spend a lot and is a contender. And we'll just touch on this real quick. There's been uh, a couple of reports that are linking Corey Kluber to the LA Dodgers, um, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating considering they already have Clayton Kershaw and, and Walker Bueller, who emerged as a star last season and then obviously in the postseason. Um, and, and a pretty good rotation at that. I'm just intrigued. Uh, the name that's been been mentioned as going the other way over to Cleveland would be Yasiel Puig, 
along with maybe an Alex Wood or a, a top pitching prospect from the Dodgers. Do you think the Dodgers should be making this move? I, I, I'm just, you know, it's an interesting one. Um, I'm just wondering. I see the benefit. Corey Kluber is a, oh, a young candidate, He's right? Great. Um, yeah. And and obviously Cleveland can, in a sense, aff- I don't want to say afford to lose him, but, you know, between – you know, some of the guys that they have around or maybe what they maybe they're thinking their run sort of coming to an end. Um, you know, what are your what are your thoughts here on a, a possible Kluber for for Puig swap between Cleveland and, and the Dodgers? I mean, I think that really benefits L.A. I feel like it's just a rich getting richer. Right. And I believe and I think Kluber is actually on a really good deal. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he signed like a really friendly team friendly deal back in like 2014, 2015. And it had like, I want to say like 38 million, like over for 38 million. Like did he's on some yeah, crazy Kluber, deal with Kluber has remaining on his contract in 2019. It'll be 15 million. It'll and be then he has two option years, right? Yeah. It'll be 15, five and 16. They're club options. The club option. So, right. I mean. So, if, if it all flops, they cut him. And if yeah. not, you get to pick him up and continue to have an ace, right? Yeah, I think it's a great deal for L.A. I mean, we have to see what the pieces are going back. I I mean, just off the sound of it, I feel like Puig, there has to be more that goes to Cleveland than just Puig. Right. It, w- it would probably be picking up another, another pitcher in return, either major league mm-hmm. ready or, you know, a couple of top prospects. Yeah, like the Dodgers, I mean, their farm system, like it's still good, but it keeps on depleting with each right, with each star, like this, yeah. with each star they get. So they're running out of prospects, which means they're running out of time to compete. Of course. So I think they're making, you know, now they have back-to-back World Series losses. I think they've been to the playoffs the last, what, five years? It's heartbreaking if you're a Dodgers fan. Yeah. You're so, so I mean, I think it's great for them. You know, next year they'll probably be back. Right. They're probably the favorites to win the NL next year, especially if they get Kluber. Yeah, that team is so, dominant. There's no so reason I they think, be. So, I think, yeah, I think it's great for LA. I don't see a reason why they shouldn't make a trade like that. Yeah, I'm a big Yasil Puig fan. I think Yasil Oh, me too. I love Puig. I, I love think Puig's Puig. a fantastic player and can add a lot, but but you're totally right. I mean, if you can get someone like Corey Kluber in your rotation along with Bueller and and Kershaw, I mean Kershaw, look, Kershaw's not going to be the Kershaw of old, but Kershaw's still a great pitcher, right? He's still going to be be great for you, especially considering in in that reality, he'd basically be your number three. Like he's still yeah. Kershaw, but he'd probably be your third best pitcher of that group. Mm-hmm. Walker, Bueller. which is nuts. That guy's so good. Walker Bueller's stuff is unbelievable. I haven't, I haven't seen a guy at that age come up and be not just as dominant as a, as a, with his stuff, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of young guys come up and have a great slider or a great fastball or whatever it might be, but the, the way he commands a pitch, like a mound, like he just steps on the mound and, and you, you want to watch that guy pitch because you, he clearly has control of the game. So between him, Kluber, and Kershaw, and then that lineup, like you're losing something with Puig, but you have enough guys in the outfield that you're going to be fine. So I, I tend to agree with you that that would be, if that were the deal and they were, you know, unloading 
a, a guy like Alex Wood in return with Puig or a couple of top pitching prospects in return with Puig. I mean, the window's now, right? With how much mm-hmm. money they've spent, I, I agree with you. I think it's something you would have to do. Yeah, I think so. And like you said, there's so much crowd. There's such a big crowd in that outfield in L.A. that Puig can be moved, and they're not going to – uh, hurt from it like and that it's something that they've been trying to do I, I remember reading a David Sampson tweet that every trade that the Marlins and Dodgers talked about the Dodgers wanted Puig to come to Miami right so it seems like they're really insistent on trying to get rid of Puig right so I think that's just shows how easy it is for him to go and they're not going to hurt and they're nothing's going to change for LA. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. Um, And so it'll be interesting to see if any of these trades happen. If you're listening to this podcast, which is swings and misses on the five reason sports network uh, and these trades have already happened. Well, sorry, uh, but we only have so much to talk about in the MLB offseason right now because we're in that that middle between all of the stuff that happens right when the season ends and the 40-man rosters have to happen and then all of the action that will happen in a couple of weeks at the winter meetings where Craig Mish will be reporting for Swings and Mishes and the Five Reasons Sports Network. Uh, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to give a... Can I make a bold prediction? Oh, yes, please. I love a bold predictions. It, it, it's, it's just a weird bold prediction. JT Realmuto will be traded on Tuesday, December 11th. Just, just, that's my. I love that bold prediction. That's coming from literally out of nowhere. That is out of the blue. You guys are just cool. It's just a coincidence because this is my reason. Well, first of all, it's my birthday, but. Uh, Okay, I get it. No, 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 no. But this is my, this is my reasoning. Uh huh. Logan Morrison was traded on on December 11th in 2014. 15th. Okay. Stanton was traded on December 11th. December 11th. Mm. All right. So clearly Last the Marlins year. like to do business. The Marlins made trades on December 11th. Okay. All right. So, we'll mark, that down. mark it down. I said it on November 30th. Mark it down. December 11th. JT Realmuto is traded. You guys are going to the winter meetings too. It's the second day of the winter meetings. You guys are going to think that that's coming from Craig telling us to push stuff out there. It's not, it's just, it's just Dutch being Dutch and throwing things out there into the wind. Um, before we wrap this up, <laughs> unbelievable. Before we wrap this up, um, I just want to shout out, uh, Wells Duesenberry had a really awesome article that came out this week. Uh, the headline, it was in the Sun Sentinel. Um, you know, he, he's a, a Marlins beat reporter for the Sun Sentinel. Uh, and the headline is starting from scratch, Marlins education program, a key new component of player development. Uh, and it, it, it takes a dive into what Emily Glass has been doing uh, mm-hmm. under the new leadership with the Miami Marlins in terms of helping minor league players learn English. Um, these are all the foreign players in, in the minor leagues, um, whether it be for the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, any of the Latin American countries, um, or sorry, the Latin countries, I apologize. And it, it's basically helping all of these guys learn English and life skills. Um, and I, so I've mentioned a little bit on this podcast before that I, that I do have some personal experience uh, with programs like this. A couple of years back in 2016, I 
was an English language and cultural instructor uh, at the New York Mets Academy in the Dominican Republic. That was from January to March of 2016. Uh, it was a program um, that I-, I was fortunate enough to be a part of that had been a part of the University of Central Florida, the University of South Florida, and basically went over there um, as as a teacher. I-, I went over there with with the sole goal of teaching English and then also teaching some life skills and, and I guess... Uh, about the American culture to some of these guys that either had only been over to America a couple of times for the minor leagues and had had some trouble adjusting or guys that had never even been to the United States of America. And so what the Marlins are doing, I I can tell you firsthand, this is an incredible, incredible and important program uh, for the Marlins to be instituting. I, I remember having conversations with, with kids um, and I say kids because most of the guys that were in this program were young, right? I mean, I was only 20 something years old, but, but these, most of them were anywhere from, you know, 16, 17, 16. 18 years old to, to 21 or 22 years old. So mostly young guys. And I remember having conversations with them about how difficult it was. You know, the, the, the Mets have a, a, a team in Kingsport, Tennessee, right? how do you make the adjustment from living in the Dominican Republic your whole life to all of a sudden just being planted in in Kingsport, Tennessee with no grasp of the language, no grasp of the culture, and you're expected to perform. I think a key part that we often miss with athletes is the mental part of, of the game and not just the mental part of the game, but the mental part of life then affecting the game. You know, we all go through our own stuff on any given day and it affects the way we perform at work. It affects, you know, if, if you or I, Dutch, had a really bad you know, day yesterday and we were, we were here recording this podcast, it, it would affect our performance. And so when you're thrust into a brand new culture in a brand new city and you don't speak the language and you can't communicate with anybody besides maybe a few players on your team that speak the same language as you, you know, you, you feel like a fish out of water and you feel like you're put into a situation where you're not in the best place to succeed. And so what the Marlins are doing here, uh, you know, 42%, as well as mentioned in his article, 42% of the players uh, for the Marlins are international, whether that's, you know, the Dominican Republic, I believe has, has somewhere around 60 players, um, Mm. Venezuela and Panama and Puerto Rico and, you know, Colombia, there's all these different countries that are represented and, and all of these guys that, that speak Spanish first. And so, for the Marlins to, to institute a program where not only are those guys learning English, but then some of the English speakers are learning Spanish, and there's a whole operation involved to try to help these guys feel like a part of, of the American culture and feel like one unit as a Marlins organization, I just find it so important. Um, there was a quote in there that I, that I wrote down um, that was from from – Jorge Guzman, and it was, I want to learn because when I go to the big leagues, I want to talk in English. I want to communicate with my coaches, managers, and friends. And I think that that, that quote says everything too, because what, when I, again, going back to my own personal experience, when I, when I was there in the Dominican Republic, one of the, the most important and one of the best weeks that we had was I spent a week with my students just doing mock interviews. So I was asking them questions as simple as, hey, you went two for three with an RBI. What went right today? 
you know, and had conversation. And it was simple as those guys answering those questions, the, the simple questions that you get in the locker room that we might think are mundane, that we might think are really easy. But, you know, these guys are used to performing at a high level, but you're putting them in a situation to perform even after the game. And, yeah. you know, those are things that, that these guys go through on any given day that we don't necessarily think about that can really affect you mentally. We see, look at Markel Fultz in the NBA. He's affected mentally just on the floor and look at the way that it's affecting him. So imagine, you know, and, and he probably takes that home. And so the mental part of life is so important. And I just think what the Marlins are doing, I mean, this has been a very long winded way of saying, I think the Marlins are doing a great thing. And that if you haven't gotten a chance, you should go read Wells's article in the Sun Sentinel, because I think it's, it was a great dive into what Emily Glass is doing and what the Marlins organization is doing. And mm-hmm. I just think it's all really important. And I'm glad we're having a conversation and, and propping the Marlins up for what they're doing. Because I think, look, we can, we can uh, criticize moves. We can criticize trades. We can, we can do any of that. When an organization is taking the time to put their players in the best position to succeed, not as players, but as people, uh, I think we should be giving them credit for that. And so I just wanted to, to wrap up with, with that at the end here of this podcast because Wells Wells had a great report on it. Um, you can follow yeah, him on at Dude's Report. And I just thought it was a, a really great piece and it's worth taking the time to read. It'll take 10 minutes of your day. Um, so go find that. I'll share it from, from my personal Twitter account and from the Swings and Mishes Twitter account. So if you're looking for it, you can find it on either of those. Um, and but- I love the fact that, uh, you know, that they're doing that and the opposite way of, you know, giving the option to the American players. Right. To learn Spanish, I think, I think that's probably the one of the best things that this new ownership has done. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and so that you know, ending ending on a serious note for what was kind of a funny and fun podcast. But uh, we'll be back next week. Um, you can expect a, a really fun episode next week with with Craig. A very interesting episode. We'll have some some really cool stuff in store. Uh, Dutch, thanks again for uh, joining us today, and uh, we always enjoy having you on the pod. Always. Thank you. Hold on. Wait. Before you go, if you were listening to this podcast on Friday, November 30th, or you're listening to it on Saturday, December 1st, know that you can bet on the college football games happening today, tomorrow, throughout the weekend on BetDSI.com. All the conference championship games of this weekend, that includes some big ones with some gigantic spreads. Washington on Friday night taking on Utah. They're a five-and-a-half-point favorite. Oklahoma's an eight-point favorite over Texas, who they lost to earlier this year. Alabama is nearly a two-touchdown favorite over Georgia. And Georgia's the fourth-ranked team in the country. But Alabama's won by 20 points each game this season. And, of course, if you're listening to me, you know I'm going to talk about UCF, who on Saturday takes on Memphis down Mackenzie Milton. They're a three-point favorite at home. All sorts of games to bet on on BetDSI.com. And if you use our promo code SWINGS101, that's promo code SWINGS101, you can double your initial deposit up to $2,500. So while you're watching all the conference championship games this weekend, make sure to bet on the games. And if you do, do it on BetDSI.com.